Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. The weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone, thanks for joining us this week, another big show coming your way. We'll speak to Eugenia Rocker, the boss of Motorsport Australia, and find out more about Australia's return to racing. Garth Tander will chat to us about his debut on the Supercar E-Series this week at the Circuit of Americas, and no Crowsey this week, but Mark Walker and Dale Rogers to join us for our weekly chat. Firstly, though, the story's making headlines, not just here but around the world. And, of course, the biggest story in motorsport this week is the split between four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, their six-year partnership, set to finish at season's end. Vettel left Red Bull at the end of the 2014 season and became the third most successful driver at Ferrari with 14 Grand Prix wins. In a statement, the German declared that his partnership with Scuderia Ferrari will finish at the end of the 2020 season. He said in order to get the best possible returns in the sport, it's vital for all parties to work in perfect harmony. The team and I have realised that there is no longer a common desire to stay together after the end of this season. Vettel went on to say financial matters did not play a part in the decision and thank Ferrari and its Tafosi for their support during his time at Maranello. Who will replace Vettel at Ferrari in 2021? Well, that will be discussed a little later in the program. The BP Supercar All-Star E-Series continues with Round 6 being run at the Virtual Circuit of the Americas in Texas. And once again, an impressive lineup of wildcards has been added to the field. Lando Norris and Will Power will rejoin the field, while young NASCAR driver Austin Sendrick will jump in a supercar for the first time. Really excited to share that I'm going to be part of the Supercars E-Series grid at Circuit of the Americas this week. Uh, Really cool opportunity for me because I've always been a big fan of the series itself, Uh, the cars, the tracks, the drivers, uh, the whole format I've really enjoyed. Uh, I've got a lot of a lot of respect for the guys that do it week in week out. So I'm um, looking forward to to going back and forth to them, mixing it up on the track. Uh, I know I'm going to have my work cut out for me. So hopefully Scotty and Fabs can uh, help get me on the pace. But overall, uh, really cool opportunity. Thank you to Ford Australia for getting me involved, and uh, looking forward to being part of the show. Former supercar drivers Craig Lowndes and Garth Tander will complete a four car local Red Bull Holden attack on the race. Lowndes taking his time to get his head around sim racing. 
Uh, my experience on a sim is pretty uh, limited, to be honest. I think that uh, I miss that phase. But in saying that, I probably in the last week or so have been you know, you know, operating this sim, which is one from the workshop, and now understanding a bit more of the technology and how they're advanced they've become, actually quite a good thing. To be honest, when, when this all sort of started to become more of a reality, um, we were going to use another sim, which um, McElroy's have got down there. And I've actually used that in the past when I was, uh, you know, my last couple of years of uh, full-time supercar driving and uh, Irish, Johnny McGregor and I used to go down there and use it uh, a little bit. Um, but it's just a different world. It, it, to get your head around not having that tactile feel of what the car's doing underneath you is really something that uh, you've got to sort of change your whole focus. Most of the drivers now have, have been on the simulator and, and logged in and done laps of the track. Like initially you knew where the lefts and rights were and, and the undulation of everything. Um, but again, the, the sim is a completely different world. And uh, for me now, sort of rela- relaying or relating that from reality to a sim work is, is probably more difficult because once you get your head around what, what you need to do to drive the sim to maximise your lap time, uh, I think that's more valuable than actually knowing the tracks in a real life. Lounge remembering the only time supercars raced at the world acclaimed circuit. Uh, it was quite amazing. Like when it first came as a reality of, of us flying halfway around the world, taking what we know as a product here in Australia to, um, to the back door of, of America was, was, was sensational. I loved it. Um, I think everyone did. Uh, I think that uh, the interesting thing was is the temperature, the, the climate was very different to what we expected or what we thought we were going to expect. It was really hot. Uh, I know a lot of us suffered. Um, but, to, but to be honest, the Americans knew a lot about what we were all about in the sense of supercars. And they were very uh, appreciative. They were very polite. They loved the cars. Um, yeah, I just wish it was going to get a continue. Teammate Garth Tander says it's not surprising that fans have taken to the virtual world of motor racing. We are fortunate with motorsport that we can create this environment or this, this virtual environment with simulation and sim racing that, you know, it's not the real thing and no one's pretending that it is, but you can, you can create some content that's very, very similar to the real thing. And if you treat it properly and treat it with respect and drive properly, which pretty much all the supercars guys are doing and a lot of the ARG guys are doing, you, you produce this product that's pretty good to watch and there's no sporting content anywhere in the world at the moment. So motorsport's been really fortunate that it's been able to generate this content and being able to get it out there and in, in, in Australia, for example, on supercars, get it on Foxtel, get it on Channel 10, get it to the mass market, not just the niche online market, and people are taking it because they, they're starved for content. So I'm not surprised. And more from Garth Tander on the program shortly. With the revised Supercars calendar expected to be announced next Monday, Supercars CEO Sean Seema has recorded another Q&A session answering questions from the fans for the Supercars website. On the question of holding races without fans, Seema is adamant that Supercars will do what it has to to get racing up and running as soon as possible. We obviously would ideally like to be running with as many thousands of screaming fans as possible, but the reality of the situation is we want to get back on track and we'll get back on track as soon as we possibly can in any way possible. So yes, of course, considering TV only under the current restrictions is something that we're forced to do. And with e-racing being held at circuits around the world, Seema says while they would love to race at those circuits for real, 
they need to fix their own backyard first. We've been really focused on making sure that we get the shape and the construct of the championship right domestically, making sure that we're maintaining our national footprint, making sure that we've got the right turnaround times for teams, our broadcast partners. So we put, ironically put a lot of time and effort into getting the calendar right this year and our intention was once we've got that right, we can start to reconsider going overseas again. It's not off the table, but we want to get our home game sorted first. Meanwhile, the CEO of Motorsport Australia, Eugene Rocker, has spoken about the possibility of a second year without an Australian Grand Prix. While the governing body of motor racing here in Australia this week has released its blueprint to return to racing, Rocker has told on the grid there is still a query on a lot of major events being held over the next 12 months. And as terrible as it may sound, there is a possibility that the Grand Prix, like the Australian Open, like many other events in February, March, even April. And I'm even thinking that the opening round of, a, of, the, of the AFL season could be at risk. Um, all, every, all the indications are there won't be a vaccine by then. Um, I'm hoping and praying someone does find one, but I would think that good risk assessment, risk management would suggest that they would be alive to the possibility that their event will be significantly impacted. And let's face it, without a crowd at the Grand Prix, um, You've got a bit of an argument. You've got yeah, a bit of a correct. debate about whether it should proceed. Eugene Arocca up next on the show. G'day, Eugene. How are you? G'day, Tony. I'm well. I hope you're well. And hi, Dale. Hey, Jen. How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Eugene, this is an important document because it gives us some sort of hope that there is a strategy in place now and racing hopefully not too far away. Well, we felt duty-bound to prepare something. We'd been working on it for about three to four weeks and then the government issued its 15 guiding principles about two Fridays ago and then we we basically overlaid that with some of our own motorsport-specific requirements. And I think uh, whilst the four- or five-page document's a good start, there's a heck of a lot of other documents that sit behind that that are in a resources toolkit. But you're right, I think it was necessary for us to be able to show governments and the health departments that we've got a protocol in place and that makes it much easier to be able to run events when we eventually get going. Eugene, just looking at the year, uh, you started off with a a, a fantastic new image um, release with Motorsport Australia, a new headquarters. So for 2020 for you, if you want to wind the clock back to December or January, must have been looking like a very exciting year. Um, You would never have expected this. But you could widen the clock only back to February, the start of February, and it would look like an exciting year until we got to the Grand Prix. Look, in a way, you know, I've quoted this a number of times. Winston Churchill says, never waste a good crisis. And the one thing that has come out of this that has been good for us has been the prevalence of Motorsport Australia's name out and about in the, in the media. I mean, CAMS is now almost a forgotten name. I mean, we still make the occasional slip. But I think um, if you go to Speed Cafe or any of the major motorsport websites, Motorsport Australia is constantly being mentioned. And I think um, we couldn't have planned that if we tried. But you're right, we were looking forward to a real, you know, boost this year, a growth in the, uh, the sport. We thought with a new name, uh, there was an opportunity for us to, ups, uh, up, you know, upsize. But it's no doubt we've taken a big hit. But as I said, the silver lining has been that everyone knows who Motorsport Australia is at the moment in the motorsport world anyway. So, Eugene, this document that you've put out, how fluent is it going to be? I mean, we know that things are changing basically every day, every week from a government perspective in regards to what restrictions are up and down and the like. 
are you in a position where you can change this document oh, quite regularly? This is like a tap. This is being constantly uh, turned on for more changes. And whilst this is the primary document, we were in discussions yesterday and today with David Hughes, Dr. David Hughes, who's the CMO for the AIS, and we've gone to him specifically about, for example, rallying. At the moment, the social distancing would cause issues regarding a navigator and a, and a driver, and he's prepared to consider further submissions so that we can tweak these documents as we go. So it's I would imagine that by the end of next week, we would have already made some changes to it. So the beauty about not being a hard-written sorry, a hard paper document is that we can continually change it, keep it on our website, and also the toolkit, the resources toolkit that sits behind it is continually being tweaked. So, Tone, you're absolutely right. Every day, every day, a government is issuing a clarification, a new directive. I was on the phone this afternoon to Queensland and they've been really clear about what they want to do. You talk to Victoria and we've discovered now that the government's prepared to consider clusters of 10 people in a gathering, not 10 people in a whole site, but clusters of 10 people, which can work for motorsport. So it's a really fluid and evolving situation, but our main objective is to get people out on the track as quickly as possible, and it's going to be a bottom-up start. It's going to be from a bottom-up, from grassroots and amateur, uh, building to state. Supercars will be in a separate category, which will be seeking exemptions, but I do think it's going to be something that Mike Smith and his team are watching on a daily basis and changing as needed. Eugene, reading the document, and uh, it is it is very clear, which I thought from a from a governing body was fantastic, because some of the documents you read are so cumbersome you can't really fathom them. So congratulations to you guys for that. But I, I just want to move away from the supercars thing for a moment. So if you look at say some of the state level meetings, which uh, are you know, the backbone of really of some of the the um, the circuit racing. At an, at a venue like Sandown or at, or at Sydney Motorsport Park at a state-level meeting, you may have 150 entries, um, which could turn into 300 if they bring one person each. It won't be very hard to get to a 500 level very quickly at those meetings. So how will you deal with the clubs that run those? Will you try and cap the amount of entries or cap the amount of categories? Well, I think, the, the, Dale, it's a good question, but the primary will be, issue will be what is the government restriction at the time unless we've been able to get an exemption. And we believe that documents like the one you've referred to put us in an excellent position to go to government and say, we now want an exemption for a state round at Sandown on the 10th of July, for example. Yep. Here's our basic document. Here's the additional sub-regs that apply to this particular event. And I feel reasonably comfortable and and with a a hint of hesitation over the next four weeks is going to give us a bit of insight into how the community is going to respond to the relaxing of restrictions. If that goes to plan, we intend, uh, along with ARG and supercars and our Shannons and whatnot and the state-level championships, to apply for exemptions because on a site that's 20 hectares or 30 hectares with a, a discrete area where there will be cars, divided by walls, we believe that um, it ain't going to be too much of an ask to take a CMO down there and say, have a look at this and the way we've managed it, and that should give them confidence. So from my point of view, Dale, I I, I believe that um, we'll know more by the end of May into June about the probability of having exemptions approved for up to 500 or more. Yeah. What is clear, there ain't going to be spectators. And, and luckily, our sport 
um, can survive without spectators to a large degree. The street circuits might struggle because you've got to put the things up and empty stands are no, no point investing in those. But I think ours is a sport that lends itself to TV and not, the lack of spectators is not fatal. Uh, but I'm confident we can work with governments around the country on specific exemptions when the time arises. I was going to ask you that question about spectators, Eugene, and your thoughts on Supercars calendar, which is expected to come out in the next week or two. Do you think that we will see a calendar devoid of street circuits and particularly, predominantly, basically all racing will be done at circuit racing? I think you'd have to safely assume that if the spectator limitations are in place and all the indications are that they're going to be in place probably until the end of the year, probably until the end of the year. Um, I would think that the realistic, they've been very realistic about saying we're going to race without a crowd. Um, the natural follow through for that would be uh, getting government to create a street circuit to attract people to come and watch it doesn't stack up when you can't pull a crowd. Mm. So I think that's a question best answered by Sean, but I would imagine that if you're a government uh, putting five, ten million dollars into a street circuit on the premise that people are going to attend, um, you're probably going to struggle with the argument at the moment. So I, I would think, from my point of view, that um, we're going to be using a lot of circuits at the moment, permanent circuits. There's probably going to be some double ups. Um, I know Sydney, for example, at night, and Sydney at day. There's two rounds, for example, over a couple of weeks. So again, I, I would think I would be very optimistic if I thought there'd be crowds at any major sporting event before the end of this year, to be honest. And if there is, you might have the G, and I know you're the voice of the G, but you might have the G that might have a Collingwood Richmond with 20,000 people, yeah. with bays set aside, specific seating, socially distanced, as much as that is a terrible thought, um, having a stadium only one-fifth full, I believe that there's going to be an element of caution about the way we approach spectators in, this, in all sports, all sports. Eugene, you made some very solid announcements about extending licences and things which, are, you know, from a governing body is, is very fair. Has there been anything that you've noticed through through your own people that uh, clubs or licence holders perhaps are struggling to the point where you, you may not be able to uh, retain the membership or the licence holders moving into 21? I was no doubt that um, uh, if you look at the raw figures, we're about 80% down on renewals during uh, the latter part of March into April because people thought, why would I renew in April if I'm probably not going to be racing till September? And so we were almost duty-bound to make some sort of concession. Interestingly enough, it's picking up again, and I think we're going to get some end of of, uh, April figures digested over the next couple of days that will give us some insight um, and the introduction of stages one, two and three by the government last weekend starts to paint a picture. The message from clubs is nothing more than frustration. They just want to get out there. They're, they're not too fussed about wanting their money back for their affiliation. They've gone and pitched for their members getting extensions, which we've done. I just think there's a level of frustration about clubs with cars and drivers and competitors and officials who can't race. And right now, in every state, in every territory around the country, you can't race. The first one will be Northern Territory in the weekend. But that's what I'm getting from our members and our clubs, a real sense of frustration. And they understand our position and they're working with us and we want to work with them. Eugene, I want to talk to you about the Australian Grand Prix. It was a disappointing end to what had been a fantastic build-up and, and expectation about what was going to be a great race. Unfortunately, the lead-in and then the, the couple of days that we were there the Thursday and Friday, things just exploded. Was there a disappointment from you about the way things went down and, and sort of the lack of support 
I suppose, from the organisations themselves? Well, I guess if you rewound things, you wouldn't have done it the same way. This this whole, I mean, I, we sent our officials out for muster on Friday morning at 7am and they basically sat on their, on their, at their stations for three hours not knowing what was going to happen. And I would think that if you had to replay all this, um, you would have people from F1 and the FIA on the ground and accessible from Wednesday at any Grand Prix, at any Grand Prix, not, not one that's got um, a prospect of a cancellation due to a pandemic. And I think the, there was seemed to be an element of paralysing or paral- paralysis is better um, from uh, the Formula One um, uh, uh, from Formula One group in terms of making a decision about whether there would be a crowd, whether the matter would proceed. And from my point of view, I got a feeling from Thursday night and Thursday afternoon, because we know the CMO, when tests were coming through that were suggesting that people were unwell and being isolated, I st- my lawyer's instinct suggested there's going to be too many issues here. And uh, I went to bed on Thursday night and did not sleep and got up at 5am, went to the track uh, worried that my officials wouldn't turn up and I was pleasantly surprised that they all did despite the news on the BBC that maybe there was going to be a cancellation. So I think there's some learnings from it and Westy's one of the best administrators in the country and he would have been frustrated by the way it all played out. But um, you're right, it's the event. It's the big event for us and to have that um, uh, you know, bumped around on the Thursday night into the Friday and then ultimately cancelled and I do believe from, from an outsider's point of view that it was when Daniel Andrews stated at 9.30 that morning, it will proceed but with no, cloud, no crowd, I think that brought things to a real head from the yeah. F1 point of view. So, so it's a long answer to your question, but, you know, terrible frustration, very proud of our officials. They fronted up. They didn't miss a beat. They all went home after it all, disappointed but passionate. And Westy, I feel for him because it was a very difficult um, it was a perfect storm and he managed it as well as he could, dealing with two other parties that had some legal and contractual issues that he needed to be confident about yeah. without leaving us with a big bill. So I think um, there's lots to learn, but it was a very, it's a once in a 100-year episode, I think, to be honest. Yeah, no, exactly. And finally on that also, Eugene, just a final question for you before we let you go. We see that the possibility of the Australian MotoGP to be cancelled probably in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be tough to get competitors and bikes out here in uh, October for that race. Is it too early to speculate as to whether we will have a Grand Prix in March of next year? You shouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> I, guess, um, I guess when you read in the papers what's in the public domain, that the Australian Open is contemplating a number of scenarios including presumably not proceeding, mm. and that's in January, you'd hope that um, you'd hope that they're going to be able to run so that our Grand Prix can. But I would imagine, knowing Westy and his team, they would be across all the possibilities. And as and as terrible as it may sound, there is a possibility that the Grand Prix, like the Australian Open, like many other events in February, March, even April, and I'm even thinking that the opening round of, a, of, the, of the AFL season could be at risk. Um, all, every, all the indications are there won't be a vaccine by then. Um, I'm hoping and praying someone does find one, but I would think that good risk assessment, risk management would suggest that they would be alive to the possibility that their event will be significantly impacted. And let's face it, without a crowd at the Grand Prix, um, 
you've got a bit of an argument. You've got yeah, a bit correct. of a debate about whether it should proceed. So, look, I don't envy uh, Andrew's position, but I guess he doesn't envy mine having a 1,000 events per annum in the motorsport field and none of them proceeding at the moment. So uh, there's going to be an impact for all of us. Fantastic work on the document, Eugene. As I said, it gives everyone a bit of hope that uh, the start of racing isn't too far away and we appreciate your time on the grid this week. Many thanks, Tony. Many thanks, Dale. And again, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an optimist, even though we've copped a fair, fair bit of uh, negativity over the last few months about whether we'll get going again. I think that by mid-June, we will see some action, some serious action, both at the national level down, barring any hiccup with any community outbreaks and whatnot. So thanks for your support, and uh, like you, fingers crossed. Good on you, Eugene. Eugene DeRocker joining us, and we say good day to Garth Tanner. How are you, Garth? Good. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on board, mate. Really do appreciate it. Uh, a little bit nerve-wracking? No, not at all. I mean, geez, I raced the real thing for 20-odd years, so uh, going back and racing against these guys in a E-Series race is certainly not <laughs> nerve-wracking at all. So got to get up to speed, though. Like They've obviously got six, seven weeks more experience in driving the supercar on iRacing than I do. So um, I've, like you said in the intro, I've done a lot of um, TCR stuff and part of the TCR ARG series, we race the F3 car as well. So last week we raced TCR and F3. Now this week I'm in the supercar. So everyone would sort of think that oh, all the cars are the same. It's just, you know, the tracks. But all the cars have got unique characteristics and they've done a really good job with their iRacing stuff of, you know, actually capturing the characteristics of each of those cars. So, um, yeah, getting the most out of the supercar in the virtual world is proving a challenge and the, you can see why the good guys are sort of seem to be that sort of step ahead of the rest of the moment. Yeah, four Red Bull Commodores. It's going to be hard to see which one's which, but you've got number 42, pretty famous number for the Tanda family and uh, some nice blue wheels. Um, I just want to go back to real life for a moment uh, and go back to 2013 when you were at the Circuit of Americas. And you had a pretty good run there. You, uh, we, we, we dived into the vault and uh, uh, P5, a P13, a P6 and a P4. So yeah. from a, a weekend, not a, not a bad weekend in Texas. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too bad. I think in that stage in 13 at HRT, first year of Car of the Future, we certainly didn't have our head around the package. But the Austin weekend was was quite a strong weekend for us. I enjoy going to new circuits. And um, I've said um, even about this week, you know, of all the tilk circuits that we raced at, you know, whether it be uh, Circuit of the Americas, Shanghai, uh, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, I thought Austin suited supercars more than any of the tracks we've been to. So I really enjoyed the weekend. As you said, it was a reasonably strong one for us. Certainly in that period, in 13, that was a very strong weekend for us. So uh, looking forward to now going back and racing against all these guys uh, on iRacing at, uh, at Circuit of the Americas. As Neil Compton has said for the last five weeks, the temperature is set at 18 degrees. Going back to that race meeting, it wasn't 18 degrees. It was about 30 degrees hotter, wasn't it? It was about 48 degrees. And yeah. This is about, you know, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, how they call it over there. So it was a really hot weekend. I remember it was really that real baking heat that you get. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it's probably a lot more pleasant. you think it'd be a lot more pleasant in the simulator, but of all the sim racing I do... You get out of the sim and you're pouring the sweat. Like you're working really hard and you're concentrating. And so you actually do work pretty hard in the sim. So um, thankfully where the sim is, I drive the sim at MPC. They've got a fantastic sim. And uh, we've got air conditioning in the room. So it's like turning the cool suit on. You put the air conditioner on, set it nice and cool and, uh, and drive the race car. 
Now, given that you were one of the drivers that went there in 2013, in the cupboard somewhere is all the stupid stuff that you bought, the boots, the waistcoat and the hat. Is it there somewhere? No, I see I wasn't stupid. I didn't buy any of that stuff. <laughs> so the only thing I'm guilty of buying when we went to Austin is this is all pre-Lance Armstrong getting outed for being a drug cheat. We all went to his bike shop and we all spent a fortune on his bike shop. So I've got all that stuff tucked away in the cupboard, but I don't think anyone wants to wear that stuff anymore. You don't want to be known as a supporter of Lance. So that's the only stuff that I spent any money on in America. Unlike David Reynolds. Yeah, well, I think Reynolds wears that stuff normally, doesn't he? He doesn't need, any, doesn't need an excuse to wear anything random. I hate that, the truth. Hey, Garth, have you been, uh, have you been surprised at the uptake of iRacing or, e- or E-Series, or E-Racing, I should say, from these mm. spectators? It, the, the numbers that have been watching these telecasts and broadcasts of TCR, of supercars, of uh, even in America, has been amazing. Yeah, I'm not surprised because we are fortunate with motorsport that we can create this environment or this this virtual environment with simulation and sim racing that, you know, it's not the real thing and no one's pretending that it is, but you can you can create some content that's very, very similar to the real thing. And if you treat it properly and treat it with respect and drive properly, which pretty much all the supercars guys are doing and a lot of the ARG guys are doing, you you produce this product that's pretty good to watch and there's no sporting content anywhere in the world at the moment. So motorsport has been really fortunate that it's been able to generate this content and being able to get it out there and in, in, in Australia, for example, on supercars, get it on Foxtel, get it on Channel 10, get it to the mass market, not just the niche online market and people are taking it because they, they're starved for content. So I'm not surprised. And look, you have to hand it to the supercars guys. The, the, the way that they've produced their content it's the best in the world at the moment. It's the yeah. best in the world. You look at any of the online racing series, and we're really fortunate to have that here. And I don't think it's probably not being respected enough from our local fans. They just expect that it's got to be this good and it's got to be that great, and that's just what we have. But it's the best in the world, and we should be really proud that we have that here in Australia. Mm. With your other series, uh, Garth, the, um, sitting seventh in the point score, but they've, they've gone on attack with a, a number of different cars. So you've, you've driven Formula 3, you've driven... Uh, the Audi, um, but you're all driving the same car in, in that in that yep. series. You're off to Oran Park next, I believe, yep. uh, in the Audi. So has that been a given that the fields are quite large and there's a lot of people that we've probably not heard of, like the supercar field, has that mm. been a tougher gig in terms of crashing and bashing? Oh, learning who you're racing against, absolutely. I can't I can't talk about the supercar thing yet. I haven't raced against those guys virtually yet. But watching it, you know, that all looks about normal. But, yeah, certainly with the ARG, events you know there's guys from trans am there's guys from super 5000 there's guys from tcr there's guys from um from the muscle car masters so touring car masters so there's everyone's coming from a very different background of motorsport whereas the supercar guys are all coming from a very you know professional background whereas in the arg series not everyone is an absolute professional race car driver so understanding who you're racing against and, and how they race has been probably more of a challenge for all of us in the ARG series because, you, you know, you spend the weekend racing against a 5,000 guy or a touring car masters guy or a Trans Am guy, not the guys that I would normally be racing against in TCR. So you find yourself in these battle packs that are all mixed up, which makes it interesting. Um, there's certainly been plenty of, you know, virtual crashing <laughs> that's been going on, but that's all part of the, part of the sport. Uh, Craig Lowndes said that he doesn't expect to go too well against Shane Van Gisbergen, but probably 
would like to beat Jamie Winkup. I suppose in your group of four, would they be the two that you'll be looking to attack Lowndes <laughs> and Winkup? Uh, first, first objective is beat Lowndes because we're both coming off the same yeah. coming off the yeah. same handicap, yeah. if you like. Second objective is to try and get close to Jamie. Uh, and I've got no chance of achieving the third objective, which is getting close to Shane. Like uh, we share data on the sim, we've been testing this week and been sharing some data, and no chance, no chance of getting near him. So um, yeah, look, uh, Shane's been doing, or uh, well, he's been on iRacing racing for, for well, nine, ten years. So certainly has his head around it. How does how to set up your sim to get the most out of it? He understands it very, very well. So. Um, from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team, guys, he's our number one man, and the rest of us will just fight over a bit of, you know, inter-team um, satisfaction, if you like. Gaff, you mentioned the sim at uh, Melbourne Performance Center, the Audi Customer Racing one. Are you using that for the supercars, or are you using the one you're sitting in at the moment? No, I'm using the MPC one, so I'm sitting in it at the moment. So oh, okay, that's pretty good. Here we go. It's all around me. Oh, yeah. It's a full, it's a full, a full motion sim. Uh, it's an incredible bit of kit. Um, it's we did a lot of tests, so we use this the MPC t- uh, sim for testing before we go to TCR events, and we just started that this year. So at the Grand Prix, I did a heap of laps in the TCR car using different software, not the iRacing software, and did a heap of laps. Got generated some data, then we went to the GP. We actually put the car on pole at the GP before the the event was cancelled, um, and we came back and overlaid that data from the sim from the race car. And we realised that the sim race car didn't have enough horsepower, so we turned the sim horsepower up a little bit. And then uh, we matched the speed traces, if you like, from the sim. And then I jumped in the sim and, and punched out a lap that was within a tenth of a second of my qualifying lap at the AGP. So we're now going to start using this sim as a tool to develop, you know, from a driver perspective, not only for me, but for all the NPC customers. And it is something other drivers can come and use this package. So it is something that we're developing uh, for me, when we go to TCR events, we can use it for GT. You can use it for any category. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic bit of kit. And like I say, I'll get out of it. And it must there must be some trigger that triggers your brain in motorsport because, you know, we often hear about race car drivers, how they can't go to sleep after a Sunday. Like, you can't sleep. The very first TCR race I did on the sim, I got home, got home about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, couldn't sleep. Mm. Couldn't go to sleep. It was just like a real race. Yeah. So that actually told me, that it actually triggers something in your brain exactly the same as the race car. It's triggering something that's turning on those sensors exactly the same in the race car where your brain is hypersensitive and you can't sleep afterwards. You hear about football players and, and swimmers and cricketers all having the same problem. Yeah. So we, we actually found that the sim is creating the same thing, which is pretty cool. It actually tells me that it's, very, it's as close as it can be to the race car. That's amazing to listen. Mm-hmm. The other week we saw Marcus Ambrose wear the virtual reality glasses. Have you tried that with your sim racing at all? No, we don't have those. So we got the three screen set up. Yeah. And I already wear one pair of glasses, so I don't need another <coughs> pair of glasses as well. So, I, I tell um, you what, and I've, had, I've been lucky enough to try a sim with virtual reality glasses and the motion sickness was the thing that got yeah. me. Within four or five laps, I was totally disorientated. Yeah, I've, I've used the VR goggles in James Golding's sim, actually. Um, and I didn't mind them. I didn't think yeah. they were that bad. Um, but yeah, I guess if you're not used to motion, like we obviously yeah. as drivers, you're used to that motion. So your body's used to your inner ear and the balance is used to that sort of stuff. Um, it's actually surprising. We can replay a lap on this sim with the motion 
and with me out of the sim so we can just replay one of my laps and we can set the motion so exactly as I do it in the lap. And the first time we did it, I had no idea how much the sim was actually moving when I was driving it. Yeah. It just feels so natural. So your balance and your hand-eye and all the rest of it gets, for us as drivers, gets so immersed in the, in the software and in the hardware now from a sim point of view that it's very, very close to real thing. So I had a sim 10 years ago and I didn't really like it that much, didn't use it that much because it didn't feel real to me. Whereas now getting back on this sim, I haven't done anything for 10 years on a simulator until we find ourselves in this COVID-19 world. When I got back into it, it was so much more immersive. It was so much more real. And that's just how far the software's come, how far the hardware's come. So I'm not surprised, Rebecca, that you got a bit sick because if you take people for a ride in the race car, they get sick too. Yeah, yeah no, exactly right. And, and the other time that happened to me, and, and it must be that motion thing, was I put my car on a dyno. I had a dyno down at Campbellfield where you could actually do a racing track on the oh, yeah. dyno. And that was exactly the same thing. I got, And I wasn't even moving. Good <laughs> stuff. Hey, mate, a final one for you before we let you go. Uh, how are you seeing the rest of the year pan out, I suppose, motor racing-wise? Are you expecting to have uh, our Enduro Series at around about the same time? Are you expecting to be later, earlier? Any thoughts? I have no idea, mate. Honestly, no idea. Spoke to Roland Dane a couple of weeks ago about it, and they said they're not far away. They hope supercars are hoping to announce a calendar in, in the in the near future. What that calendar looks like, I've got no idea. I've got no idea whether we're doing one, two, three enduros, how many championship rounds I'll be doing. Um, so, yeah, at this stage, no idea. Uh, it, everything's so fast moving at the moment with government announcements and each, each state's different at the moment. So we need some uniformity around borders and travel and who's allowed to cross borders and stuff like that before calendars can get going. So... I would expect that we probably won't see any motorsport till June in the back part of June, really late June, July, I would have thought would be the absolute earliest. Yeah. Uh, and they'll obviously be closed, closed door races. Um, so it'd be nice, you know, this is just the race fan in me and it'd be really nice if we could make sure we had, if we could in a possible, in an ideal world, have fans at Bathurst. Oh, for sure. That for me, um, if we go to Bathurst and it's a closed door Bathurst, that's going to feel very strange. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I've got no idea when the, the dates, what Bathurst date will be, whether it's traditional October date or that gets pushed back. I don't know. But just the race fan in me says that I really hope that we can have fans there. So we need, obviously, the government to align, the calendar to the line, the virus to the line so that, you know, maybe we can do that. So whether that happens, I don't know. Good on you, mate. Wishing you all the best tomorrow night. Uh, up against uh, the supercar drivers and let's hope that you at least beat Craig. That's the plan. Cheers, guys. Thanks, JJ. <laughs> Garth Tander joining us here on The Grid. And also from the racetalk.com, Mark Walker. Hello, Mark. Dale, great to be podcasting with you once for once. Indeed. And big day in the media. Alan Jones pulling the pin. There must be a big opportunity there for On The Grid. Uh, no, I think it's already been taken. <laughs> oh. spot. Gotcha. So, hey, but that means that there's an afternoon spot. Oh, there you go. Afternoons has gone to more to breakfast. Uh, it's about time Alan Jones gave it away. That's another story, isn't it? Speaking yes. of giving it away, uh, the big news this week in the motorsport world is the fact that Sebastian Vettel is giving away his seat at Ferrari at the end of this season, gentlemen. This is uh, this is a pretty big story, isn't it? Because the possibilities 
are now endless as to who might fill that seat. And one would think that our very own Daniel Ricciardo would have to be some sort of chance. Yeah, it's, it is big news, Tony. It's uh, it's not unexpected news, but nevertheless, when it hits, it is big news. The tension really from last year, and uh, I don't think Ferrari made too many secrets that uh, once Charles Leclerc was up and running with the team, he would be uh, the number one driver. Um, then, of course, you had the inevitable clash between um, Leclerc and, uh, and Vettel in Brazil. You also had a couple of times when Sebastian apparently disobeyed uh, orders from the pit wall. His contract was up for renewal and it hasn't been agreed upon. Now, there's always speculation about money. I think from from what I've been able to find this afternoon, it was actually more the term. I think they offered him a year. Uh, He wanted more uh, because a year puts him out of sync with the rest of the players in the field. Uh, Who does it leave? It leaves Daniel Ricciardo clearly as a a candidate. His contract is up at the end of the year. He only had a two-year deal with Renault. Uh, I think it also plays some people like Carlos Sainz into, into play as well. So Ferrari have a very good opportunity to to pick up a, you know, someone who is of Leclerc's equal uh, and perhaps they're looking for someone who's not quite as political. So Ricardo would tick a lot of boxes, there's no doubt about it. He, that he, was, he was circling in that space before he did the Renault deal. Uh, that closed down, of course, when they signed Leclerc. Uh, similarly, he was in the in the Mercedes uh, space as well when they signed a one-year deal with Bottas. So, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think the fact that it's been made now in May, uh, it gives a lot of people a lot of time. There's no racing, so there's plenty of contractual time to be done, but all those meetings that happen in those motorhomes of the European circuits will have to be now happening by Zoom or Skype. Um, so, yeah, interesting. But when, when F1 starts, of course, is the big question on everyone's lips. Patel will play it out and he, he will do... Uh, the job he's meant to, but the team will swing 100% behind um, uh, Leclerc now, as they they really did last year anyway. Uh, and Ferrari, interestingly, he didn't deliver them uh, didn't deliver them uh, the, the, the results they really wanted. 14 wins, but no championship in his time there. Uh, you know, 14 wins not to be sneezed at, but he went there uh, post Schumacher era as the one who was going to carry on winning championships, and he simply wasn't able to do it. But uh, you know, a four-time world champion. Uh, where he goes now, uh, it, there's only one way if he wants to stay in Formula 1, and that's down, because uh, he's not going to get a seat at any of the, the major teams. And I personally, I, I, it really disappoints me when you get the Alonso's and, and the, the Laces of the world who then step backwards and tumble down and down and down and down the grid and then just leave forgotten. If you're going to give it away from the top team, that's his decision, you know, give it away. So a two-part question for you two gentlemen without notice. You just said Fettel's going to have to find something else if he wants to continue on. Where do you think that could be? And how do you think Ricardo would stack up next to Leclerc? Yeah. Well, I, Tony and Mark, I, there's, the problem with the, the, let's say it is Ricardo for the point of the discussion, he will find himself or the driver will find himself in a very similar position to what Mark Webber found himself at Red Bull with, with um, Sebastian Vettel what Daniel Ricciardo found uh, at, at Red Bull as well, where there is a favoured son. Um, Ferrari have made no bones about it that Leclerc is the favoured son. Now, um, to then bring in a Daniel Ricciardo, for instance, or a Carlos Sainz and say, all bets are off, you're equals, they'll say it, but it won't be what's actually going to happen um, mm. unless that driver whips Leclerc in the early rounds, in the, in the early qualifying, the early rounds. If that driver really takes it to him, they will give that driver the opportunity. But if you look back at, at Ferrari's history, Eddie Irvine played second fiddle to Schumacher. 
Philippe Massa played second fiddle. Kimi Räikkönen played second fiddle. It was only when Leclerc came in that the two equals were there. So Ferrari have had a history of ones and twos. They they can deny it till the cows come home, but those that's how they play the game. So yeah, look, it'd be a great seat, and I think I think Australia would love to see Daniel Ricciardo or Carlos Sainz or any of these guys in that seat. But I just don't think it's going to be level playing field. I think you hit the nail on the head, Dale, in regards to the fact that that would be something that's going to play on Daniel Ricciardo's mind in regards to whether he does make the move or not, is the fact that he has played that favourite son role to Vettel initially and then to Verstappen over the last couple of years. There's no doubt that the reason he left Red Bull was the situation with Verstappen being seen as the favoured driver. Would you go and put yourself in exactly the same situation again? It's going to be really tough. Yeah, thought process for Daniel over the next month or two as to whether he wants to go into that situation. I guess, Tony, the other, the, the, the flip side of that is that um, Renault, uh, we don't know, let's face it, we don't know where all the cars are. Testing is irrelevant Correct. really to where the cars are. But Renault are in, Renault are in the, uh, the, B, the B class. Um, the Force India uh, team, um, whatever they're called at the moment, I kept racing point. Uh, emerged as a very serious player in that midfield. McLaren did a great job last year um, in that midfield pack. Um, so Renault are in there, uh, but are they at the top of that pack? So if if he's at the point where we do get a few races away and he's still battling for sixth and seventh and eighth, which is effectively where Renault are, do you put pen to paper and go another two years with that? And under new stewardship from uh, Renault with, with new chairman and CEO, will Renault even be in the sport? in two or three years. So, you know, if you want to move up the grid, you've got to go to Ferrari, McLaren or Red Bull, uh, Mercedes or Red Bull. They're the three teams you've got to go to. Um, yeah, I mean, if, say if Sainz goes there, would he go to McLaren? Is it that much better off? But if, if you really want to have a crack at a championship, you have to be one of those three teams. I think the, the best thing for Daniel Ricciardo would be is if the other person who's been spoke about is filling the seat, which I don't believe will happen, and that's Lewis Hamilton, I don't think he would leave Mercedes to go to Ferrari, but that would be the perfect storm. Hamilton to Ferrari, seat opens up Mercedes, Ricardo to Mercedes. I, I could accept that. Well, but Bottas might be gone too in, in December. He may not get another gig. So, uh, yeah. or, or what will happen is there's been so, so few races that maybe contractually they've got to keep him for next year anyway because they've fulfilled their contracts. Extend the contract. It'll be interesting to see how it all does play out, but that is definitely the big news of the uh, the week in motor racing is that Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari have confirmed their parting ways at the end of season 2020, which could already have happened. Who knows? No, there will be there will be more races, won't there? Maybe. Yeah, but fingers crossed. Exactly, fingers crossed. Hey, boys, E-Series Racing, it's hunting up again. We've got another uh, star-studded guest lineup heading into uh, this week's racing at the Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas. So who have we got? We've got Craig Lowndes. We've got Garth Tanner from an Australian perspective. Will Power comes back into the, the uh, E-Series as well, as does uh, a, a boy with a very uh, familiar surname to another person at... Uh, Team Penske. Austin Cindric's back. Well, yes. he's not back. He's, he has raced in Australia before, but uh, he's been a bit of a mainstay for the captain over there, Roger Penske, in the Nationwide Series in the second level category. But uh, he's the son of Tim Cindric and gun driver. Bit of an odd uh, call there to get the call up. Uh, like we said last week, uh, 
it's an odd time zone. It's hard to get people from the US of A to compete in these E-Series matches because they, they kick off at 3 o'clock in the morning. Who wants to get up then? Well, I mean, Scotty McLaughlin did for the IndyCar stuff, but uh, it's a hard thing to reciprocate back the other way, especially as those guys start to fire up for their season proper, which would be uh, kicking off this weekend in the, the main game in NASCAR. So thus, we haven't seen Joey Logano sign up for that. Uh, who else have we got? Josh Fife is uh, making a step up in the Brad Jones uh, Super 2 car. That's a bit of an odd one, but it ticks that box for Dunlop to keep them involved, I guess. But um, six wild cards in total there, padding at the field. Dale, do you reckon we need that many? Well, uh, Mark, I'm glad that you're on the show this weekend, that Richard Crail person is not, because... You and I have shared an opinion that bolstering it with the Super 2 drivers is absolutely nonsense. But the big-name tickets are where the show is. The Joey Logano's, the Will Powers, the Marcus Ambrose's, love all that. Super 2 guys, uh, we don't need grids of 65 cars. The ARG series. Yeah, you're being, you're being a bit unfair, though, Dale. They've only ever had one or two Super 2 drivers in the field. They've never padded it out to try and get it to 35 cars. No, but they've had too many Super 2 drivers in the field. And with one or two? No, full stop. Oh, jeez. Law's been laid down there, Shebex. Uh, no uh, coming back from that one. No, and and like I tried to say last week, you know, that, that battle at Bathurst between Brody Kostecki and Shane Van Gisberg and, and Scott McLaughlin, okay, I'd add an extra competitive car there. I still think it would resonate more with general punters who aren't us who no all the industry players, no Brody Kostecki, just old mate at home who's a bit of a casual viewer is tuning into this because it's something that isn't, oh, who knows what else is on television these days. If it was a battle between Scott McLaughlin, Shane Van Gisbergen at the front there for the win at Bathurst, I think that would have resonated better with the fan base than having some Super 2 guns in there who are really good at their IRAs. Yep, but all the other drivers in that field had the opportunity to be a part of that battle and none of them could be a part of that battle. So you can't blame Brody Kostecki for that. No, it's not. But to resonate with the fans, I mean, I don't think it really adds to the spectacle. It still would have been a, a great finish between Van Gies and McLaughlin. And I think that's what punters love about it, love about the sport in the last couple of years, that these guys have emerged to have a real rivalry, rivalry on track. And they're there mirroring it in this iRacing world, which, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. We've got Anton De Pasquale's stepping up. I mean, they're all they're all noted iRacers. They're all sort of tipped to be the gun guys. But I think the quality of the racing in the last few weeks has really improved. Obviously, they laid down the law from the supercars perspective. They didn't want any of the carry-on that we've seen in some of the earlier races. But the driving standard has really gone up as well. You know, Jamie yeah. Winkup couldn't drive to save himself week one, a couple of weeks ago at Watkins Glen, albeit a reverse grid race, he held on for the win and he, he drove really quite sensibly and well. So we've seen this throughout the e-racing world that these regular drivers who have no idea about simulators, give them a few weeks and they start bashing out these results. Even Rick Kelly's up there knocking on the door of the top 10, sitting in his deck chair. Uh, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Is there any coincidence though that the top guys in the iRacing series or the E-series for supercars are exactly the same as the top guys on a normal weekend when we race at tracks. And the guys who aren't as good are still down the back. The, the, the grid itself hasn't really changed that much from iRacing to normal racing 
and they're racing identical cars. So there's got to be something in these guys as a talent, not just the car they're driving. I think there's two guys that, that I agree with the, the premise because you look at the results sheet and it could be a results sheet from any race that, that we attend around the country. But there's two guys that don't measure up to that theory and that's Jamie Wincup, as Marcus just mentioned, and David Reynolds, who are both consistently top three, top four, top five players. And they're not E-series guys. They're, they haven't they haven't mucked around with it. Um, and we, we spoke to Garth Tanner tonight. I mean, he's been doing quite a bit of work um, on the on the, the Melbourne Performance Centre sim, been racing a lot. You know, where he'll figure, and of course, Craig Lowndes, um, you know, he's going to have a crack as well. He's not a, a, a you know, a, a sim racing gun. But the cream has risen to the top, there's no doubt about it, and the, the results don't look too different to the results we saw at the first two races in Adelaide. It's amazing, you know, some of the drivers who came into it who haven't done much e-racing before, they've been told by their driver coach, don't you dare get on the sims because it just teaches you bad habits or yeah. whatever sort of thing they've been told. But those good guys, McLaughlin, Van Giz, who've been doing it for 10 years, absolutely smashed that down. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, and, I mean, the, the thing that e-racing doesn't have is that feel, the feel of the tyres gripping that you don't get. You know, you, you can sort of figure it out after a while of driving what you're going to have, but you don't get that seat-of-the-pants feel. It's amazing the technology that's involved with iRacing. Um, a bit of a shout-out to Dinner with Racers. They actually did a, a podcast with the guy who founded iRacing, and the amount of effort they go to make these things real life is ridiculous, <coughs> like getting the dynamics of the car right. They'll mm. get set-up sheets. They'll get all these different parameters but then they'll also get tires sent to them they'll get a vet supercar dunlop tire sent to iRacing and they sit there and cut it up with a stanley blade so they can figure out exactly what's going to these tires and they do that for every car that's available in that program that's the level of detail that these guys go to so it's not real life it's never going to be real life but it's pretty damn close for what we can have i know it took them three years to get the bathurst track alone right for iRacing uh, the, the amount of filming and the amount of graphic design and work that they had to do before they got Bathurst up was three years of work. Uh, just amazing stuff. So that process, they go and do a, a, a laser scan of the track, the trees. That, yes. And that's one thing that the you know, founded iRacing said is that they've had to spend so much time getting the trees right. You wouldn't think about it. But he said one of the first tracks that did was Lime Park, uh, Lime Rock Park. And... When he drove it in the sim in iRacing, he was like, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not right because the trees weren't right. And you use trees and the surrounds and the hills in the distance. Breaking markers. Going yeah. around. Yeah, exactly right. And the other thing that uh, that's come out this week about iRacing is that there's little Easter eggs put in there. They don't, there's no cheats or ways that you can budget, but there's little Easter eggs in the crowd. Dale Jr. and Steve Meyer, the vice president of iRacing, are actually in the crowd for every single track iRace. And for Phillip Island, Dale Jr. is on a boat in Bass Strait. <laughs> no. No joke. Legit. That's funny. That man. is great. Uh, well, actually, and it's right you talk about those little Easter eggs because supercars have actually clamped down this week in regards to a little glitch, I suppose. It's uh, been found in the pit lane where drivers didn't use the pit lane button for their speed limiter and they were actually able to go a kilometre or two over the actual limit and not get pinged for it. 
oh, well, yeah, you've got to, you've got to experiment. You know, spending so long there, you find these things out. One thing I noticed the other week with uh, Lando Norris, who is making a return uh, this week in the round at the Circuit of the Americas, you look at his Twitch. Well, a lot of these drivers who are at the front run these Twitch streams in parallel to what's uh, shown on Fox Sports KO on Facebook and the various other streams that you get. They, they broadcast their own vision from the car and they also have cameras pointing at their feet. You look at Lando Norris's thing. He has got so much accelerator travel. Obviously, he's figured something out here. He's one of the top iRacing guys in the world and he's found out something with his pedal setup because he has an enormous amount of pedal travel on his accelerator. Have a watch uh, this week. You can probably get on there and watch some of his previous streams, but it's amazing to watch how all the different drivers, you know, the V8 drivers set them up a lot like their real-life V8 supercars and get the positioning right and the levels right so they can heel toe and do all these funny things. Scott McLaughlin's left foot braking, and you look at Lando Norris, there was this massive travelling accelerator which you'd never have in the real world. A couple of things that I, I really found interesting. I mean, it's here to stay. There's no doubt about it. Supercars are already talking about whether it's a winter series or a summer series. I mean, I think we, it's going to be part of our lives moving forward. But one of the things that I've, I've found really interesting with, with it is the adaptation from someone like Lando Norris to come into this, who clearly is a great sim racer, but then comment on how cool the cars were. Mm. So he's, he's obviously driven formula cars and, and other things in his, in his sim, probably more formula cars than else. But really commenting that, that one of his favourite, if not his favourite car to drive on this platform is a supercar, which is quite astounding from someone of his, you know, where he's, you know, his talent and background. Can I quote my favourite Lando Norris E-Series quote? Of course. Vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> The magic. That was great. Actually, I love that. Lando did an endurance race. They heavily set up enduro races for GT3 cars and that throughout the season on the iRacing service. And they had a GT3 race at Bathurst last year. And him and a couple of the other Formula 1 guys, they spent weeks practising. Every spare moment they had, they were on iRacing at Bathurst in a GT car bashing around there and they figured it out. They got to the first lap of the race and got fenced. <laughs> Absolutely gutted. Yeah, that, that'll kill you. There's no doubt about it. So we were at Spa last week. We are at uh, Texas this week, Circuit of the Americas. I think the other thing too, Garth Tander was went to lengths to uh, praise the Supercars guys for their coverage of the uh, the event so far, the E-Series event. I think one thing that they've done is also their ability to be able to work out what the punters and the drivers want and to just stick to one track in our last two weeks instead of going to different circuits, I think has been a, a major revelation by the, uh, the Supercars TV guys. Circuit America's really cool track, I think, for anything, whether it's Formula One, World Endurance Championship, or even MotoGP. It's a really, really cool track, as Garth mentioned, from the Tilky design circuits around the world. And the Supercars in 2013, all being that they were perhaps not to the extent that they are now in real life, were sensational there. Uh, down uh, out of turn two and down through those very, very fast corners that are really cool to watch. Uh, the racing was good. There's a lot of passing opportunities. So I think as a venue, um, we've seen some good ones. I think we all enjoyed uh, Silverstone was great. Spa was great. Um, this could be one of the ones that really kicks it in as well. I like think it's, it's a great, great venue to go in. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, four or five extra cars in there is not a bad idea because it's a big circuit. So uh, good. But the other thing I just want to mention, Tony, on that is that what we've also got coming up, of course, <laughs> in this e-world, which seems to be exploding, it, you're going to be watching something in e-motorsport every minute of the day. Uh, we're going to have the uh, the legends or the whatever they're calling them next. Celebrity race. Yeah. 
Celebrity race. Uh, now, none of us got an invitation to this, which I'm staggered about, uh, but oh, nonetheless. Oh, you got one? No, no, I'm not staggered that I didn't get an invitation. <laughs> oh, I, thought you, I thought you got one and you, and you did a scaphie and reneged. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, Ryan's stories popped up on one. I <laughs> saw that. Round popped up on one. Crompton, of course, is playing it down, so he will he'll be training his, his, his day in, day out, and he'll be on the sim. But that's going to be a bit of fun, I reckon. I mean, Neil's going to have to trade over from the flight simulator that he normally runs, yeah. so uh, that's going to be uh, slightly different for him. Is he going to uh, commentate while he drives? That's what I want to know. You'd assume so. Do you think he'll uh, have his Coke suit on? Oh, no. <laughs> It'll be interesting because I think the thing that makes the Supercars E-Series, I mean, obviously there's the authenticity from the TV standpoint, but Pratt's really good. You've got Neil Crompton calling it. But it's the fact that it's the real deal drivers. Yeah. Because you can get on iRacing yeah. anytime and watch yeah. gun iRaces. Who cares? Yeah. Seriously, yeah. who cares? Because I think it makes all the difference that it is our legit drivers driving this series and, and yeah. that makes the world a difference. Yeah. Even less interest in those guys than the Super 2 guys for you blokes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I, look, I can only commit to Wednesday night for you drinking Chebecs. I couldn't possibly do Monday night as well. That would just absolutely ruin me. Now, Chebecs, if you want to throw in super bikes into this, I'm completely gone. Uh, no, no, we'll we'll keep off that. I don't know if they have to. They don't have sims, do they, for the bikes? Oh, okay. Dangerous. Oh, exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, just before we go to a, a final story that's come out also is uh, the fact that Alexander Primo, of course, who was uh, down to drive Tickford race, one of the Tickford racing cars this uh, endurance season may uh, struggle to get to Australia due to the travel bans. Is that something Tickford needs to look at sooner rather than later? Oh, for sure, and they will be. Um, the, I, you know, we've all spoken about, the, and Garth was very articulate tonight about the government's, as was Eugene, about how governments are changing day to day. Uh, but our borders are closed, and there is absolutely no sign of that opening. I mean, if you look at, at Morrison's draft, stage three, which is a long way away, um, is still talking about some travel. Uh, sorry, still questioning travel. Um, and Alan jo- um, Joyce from Qantas said the other night that uh, he doesn't believe that the international travel will be on the cards till perhaps even 2021. So the chances of, of these guys coming to race at Bathurst or, or even if there is other endurance races uh, would be getting slimmer by the day. Well, I mean, our great mate Richard Crail, he's ever the optimist about the 12-hour, but it's come out this week that 12 hours in driving, I, I think it's in huge What I just can't see it happening. Mm. Even if there are planes able to come in and there's some level of quarantine that has to happen, I mean, I think that's going to be the case because this mess isn't getting away from places like the USA. No. And, I mean, that time of year you have Daytona 24, which typically has been the week before the 12-hour, and you have half the field transiting from Florida to Bathurst, they're not going to be able to quarantine for two no, weeks correct, when they no. get here. And they're not going to quarantine for two weeks wherever they wind up on the other side of Bathurst. So I just don't see all these people being able to commit a month's time. And you need to have lead time to get this stuff sorted, to get all the freight sorted, to get all the logistics done. It's going to be a hard task. I think, Mark, that, that you're right. And, and you're even working further backwards. There's some talk that cars need to be on boats in November. Um, At least. You know, contained, ready to go. You know, really, it's all real to say, oh, look, I'll fly out the week before and that's the end of January. But 
go back 8, 10, 12 weeks because that's actually when commitments need to be made for freight logistics and things. And that's coming right back into 2020 at a, at a, at a really fast storm. So unfortunately, um, I think you're right. I, I think that's a race that is in serious jeopardy. But as we have spoken before, it does open up a massive window for supercars um, to deliver a supercar event on that weekend if, unfortunately, that, that 12 hour doesn't occur. Yeah, well, all time will uh, time will tell, boys, as to how this all plays out. Thank you so much for your uh, help again this week, gentlemen. Great to have you both on together. Yes, it's uh, it's a nice change, Tony. <laughs> for two points, I nominate Richard Crail off the show. <laughs> and for all of our uh, for all of our listeners throughout uh, the UK and Europe, Richard Crail does apologise for not being here this week, but uh, he had no say in it. Oh well, yeah. I mean, he will a letter from, uh, from whoever it doesn't matter. This will, be, just... this will be the show that rates. Don't worry about that. Oh, no doubt yeah. about it. Talk to you uh, shortly, guys. Cheers, guys. Good on you, Tony Mark. Nice to see you, guys. And thank you for joining us here on the grid. We'll catch you again next week. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.